Hello everyone, welcome back to Dirty Money and we got a cool show for you. My name's Mike, I'm back like I never left. And we're gonna go into a few different subjects that were going on today. One of them is a $300 million supercomputer Britain's building for AI. American Airlines is trying to steal pilots from FedEx. We'll jump into that. And then we're gonna look at the five most expensive books in the world. There's one in there that kind of blew my mind. And then 95% of all rare earth metals right now are coming out of China. And today they said that that's going to stop. Also, we're going to get into what Nestle's new food delivery startup is. And then a million dollar Uber scam. And then we're also going to look at the largest buried treasure haul in the history of the world. Since you're here, please like, give us a five star for the download on the podcast. And if you're interested in certain topics that you want me to research and dive into, Please put them in the comments. I'm more than happy to dig into them and figure them out. But to get everything started, we're going to look at this $300 million supercomputer fund that's coming from Great Britain. So the program is actually called AI Research Resource. They originally decided as a country they were going to put $100 million into upgrading their public supercomputers for Great Britain. Now, I, I think this is just some public like way of saying how they're spending money. I mean, they have military, they have this, that, and the other thing. And I am I want to say that they have supercomputers that they spent more than $300 million on. And that's the amount that they upped the $100 million to is $300 million. So Rishi Sunak said, he's the prime minister of Great Britain, said this investment will make sure Britain's scientific talent have the tools that they need to make the most advanced models of AI safe. Now, by doing this, he's going to increase their public supercomputers by 30 times, which is pretty impressive. But when you look at the larger scope of things for AI investment, collectively, the United States in the last decade has put over $250 billion into AI development. Companies like Chat GPT and things like that. But you can see here, you know, that super tower, look to the left, that's the amount of money the U.S. is donated, not donated, but put in collectively to advance AI technology. And then you have all every other country below there. The next closest one, obviously, is China, but then the U.K., you know, so so we're dwarfing everyone. So the real growth that you're seeing, uh, I think, in AI is definitely coming from the United States, how we're actually spending that money is a little bit differently because a lot of it's private sector. It's not the U.S. putting bills forward to create this and that. It's Microsoft committing $10 billion to uh, open AI um, and uh, a lot of different other companies that are taking place there. So it's pretty interesting to think that, you know, $300 million they think is enough to actually try to be safe on the AI. I mean, I feel like the Terminator is going to be able to get through the AI uh, firewall for $300 million, no problem. Uh, speaking of the uh, some other things is that if you're looking at the whole perspective for AI development and overall usage, like what is Great Britain going to do to actually make AI safe? Like it with a supercomputer i feel like unless you have some kind of strategic structure inside of your country to limit the development or to monitor the development of that ai 
all you're doing is just throwing more money into the fire, you know, and talk about throwing more money into the fire. American Airlines is actually throwing a quarter million dollars at any FedEx pilot who wants to come and fly for them. This is a really crazy subject. Really, a quarter million dollars. So if you're a pilot, you fly for FedEx, and you are willing to come over to American Airlines and fly their planes, they will give you a quarter million dollar bonus. They will literally, your first check, you'll see $175,000 added to it, and you'll get $75,000 after the one year. So if you think about it, the guys, you know, I don't know exactly uh, how how many that have come over. That's not public, but, you know, that's a year's salary for, for a pilot coming over. So they're literally going to give you your whole salary up front. You go buy a house, depending on where you're at in the country, just with that bonus check. So it's it's really aggressive behavior, and it makes me think that they're cutthroat. And then I started to really look into it. And the the problem that we're actually having is almost systemic in the airline industry is because the pilots that typically flew in the airlines uh, prior to drones were actually military trained pilots. And so there would be an ample amount of people coming out of the military that understood uh, how to fly and do things like that. So we had that. And, and now we don't have that anymore. So there's not that many available pilots because all the drones that are created and we have drone operators. So it's pretty interesting to think that really this isn't this isn't stemmed from the American Airlines just being like, hey, I'm going to come steal your people. It's like there's a shortage of pilots all across the United States because we just don't have as many we're creating from the military. Another thing is, is that COVID did have an effect on early retirements. Um, but at the end of it, when you really look at it, is FedEx might not be in that much trouble with this because they're actually losing money right now with their air freight because they're actually going down the demand. So it's kind of like almost a win-win for, for FedEx, even though it sounds pretty crazy that American Airlines puts up 250K. I wonder if they would have said like 150K or 100K, if it would have made a budge. Who who had American Airlines decided that a quarter million dollars was worth one pilot of one year service? I mean, I'm sure there's got to be something in the contract that says they can't leave after the year. But I mean, 175 grand and then after one year, you're paid up. I wonder what the contract does say, or maybe it's worth it for them to uh, get a quarter million dollars. They can get more flights out. There's lots of cancellations. If you haven't been flying this year, you know that uh, flights get canceled all the time. People get bumped. It's pretty ridiculous, actually, now. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see what any of the American Airlines uh, contracts look like for those FedEx pilots. Do they have a non-compete? Uh, are they required? Do they have to pay back the money? You know, it's it's pretty interesting to really think about how the structure would work there to make that financially successful for American Airlines. Um, I think they could have probably lowballed it and got a little bit better on the number. Um, speaking of numbers, the bigger the number for the book, the crazier it is. So right now I want to go through the five most expensive books. Now, number five on this list. This is a real book. 
It's called the Rothschild's Prayer Book. I mean, blew my mind when 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 I even found out this book exists. This book sold for thirteen point nine million in twenty fourteen. Carrie Stokes bought it at a Christie's auction, and it's now on display in the National Library of Australia. But it is the Rothschild's Prayer Book. Uh, I mean, we all know about the theories with the Rothschilds, this, that, and the other thing. But to have a book that sells for almost $14 million, that's your family's prayer book. Like, it's, it's just kind of mind-blowing. Number four on the list is the Bay Psalm book uh, at $14.5 million. It was sold in 2014. But the neat thing about the Bay Psalm book is that there's 11 copies of this book in the world. And uh, they were printed in 1640. And it's a religious text. But the unique thing about the religious text is that it actually describes early colonial life, which is really unique, I thought. Um, number three on the list is the St. Cuthbert Gospel. Um, this is actually the oldest book, oldest surviving European book. It was created in the 7th century. And uh, it sold for $15.1 million in 2011. It's a, it's a pretty rare uh, book here as well. Now, some people might argue that the number two spot on this list should go to the Magna Carta. Um, I don't think it should go to the Magna Carta. The actual number, because it's not really a book, it's a piece of paper. Uh, the the number two on the list I have is the Gospels of Henry, the Lion Order of St. Benedict. And that, it came in $28 million in 1983. It's owned by the German government, and it's uh, it's another religious text. It depicts the life and teachings of Jesus. And last but not least, the number one on the list for the most expensive books in the world is the Codex Leicester Leonardo da Vinci it sold for $30.8 million in 1994 to none other than Bill Gates. And uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a collection of scientific writings by Leonardo da Vinci. And it's named after Thomas Koch, Earl of Leicester. I can't say that word. Who purchased it in 1717. Um, so that, that book has been you know, purchased a few different times. Uh, in 1994, when the manuscript was last sold at the Christie's auction in New York, it was sold for $30, $30 million, like I was saying. But uh, it was the most extensive manuscript ever sold. But the thing about it in a, a different perspective is that book in today's money is $60 million. And it was only 30 years ago that it was sold. Uh, 28 years ago. So our literally our money has lost half of its value in 30 years. Mind blowing. How does that even happen? You got to really ask yourself, how did we lose half the value of our money in 30 years? When before 1910, 1912 inflation really didn't exist. A shilling was a loaf of bread for 100 years. So it, it's it's pretty it's pretty unique to think like our money's lost that much value in 30 years. We're we're literally going down three percent every year. So the money you made and you know saving money, unless you have it invested, you're losing money. 
Speaking of losing money, China, who is now uh, becoming an expert at, at losing money and uh, actually cooking their books to make people believe they have money, if you're not familiar with their recent real estate crisis, look it up. I did a show on it previously. They've now said they will tighten reporting controls on strategic rare earth elements, according to its commerce ministry, in a move that could choke off America's supply of critical minerals used in the production of electric cars and missiles. Hmm. Uniquely, they they put this out in the last couple of days. Um, and and so China currently makes 90% of all of the rare earth metals. The, the entire market for the rare earth metals uh, in China, uh, they produce 90%. So the world right now has about 5.3 billion a year annually that is created for the rare earth market. Um, and the largest mineral mine, uh, rare earth mineral mine in China is a is covers roughly over 30 square miles. I mean, when you're talking about mining and destroying places for minerals, uh, that's definitely how how it's done. I mean, if you look at just the size of this thing, it's just ridiculously massive mine in China. I mean, there it is. You can see that it's just like it's mind blowing how how big this is there's like a little city over there next to it so then the next the biggest one now that place produces uh roughly 90 tons 90,000 tons of rare earth metals a a year and then there's only one rare earth mine in the United States and it produces about 26,000 tons of rare earth metals we import about 200 million dollars a year in these metals to our country now we buy up a lot more than that but they're manufactured and then we bring them in as a manufactured product microchips um you know different car batteries things like that so it, it's really interesting to look at the whole picture and understand that as a country you know china's got a Firm, firm actual hold on this. And the only reason that they have that hold is because they have operational mines. It's not like they're the only place in the world where these rare earth metals exist. It's like they're the only ones that have mobilized their people to strip the earth for that, you know? So that's the reason why they're the leaders. Now, I think over the next, you know, probably 10 years, you're going to see that decline quite a bit. But currently, the total, you know, the rare earth market's going to double in five years uh, for money. So as as we start to see more growth for electrical needs like solar panels and green energy, which uses tons of rare earth metals, it kind of contradicts the whole concept because you spend all this money trying to dig it up, and then you really want to try to figure out how it's all going to come together. Um, but talking about pouring a bunch of money into something, and Nestle's going to pour $100 million into a food delivery startup. They definitely saw DoorDash and Uber Eats and said, I wonder how we can get in. And they're doing it with the Wonder Group. So how many food trucks do you think can fit into Nestle's 600-acre global headquarters in the Swiss town of Ave? I don't know. We're probably going to see a whole bunch, but 
that's going to be more in the U.S., I think. You know, Nestle's invested a lot into it. And, you know, they, they really plan to work closely with places like uh, hospitals, sports venues, hotels, more commercially based uh, food delivery. Um, so there there is a little bit of disparity um, and inflection points. So there there's a little bit going on. But like Wonder Group acquired uh blue apron for 103 million dollars in september so it's looking beyond like the normal delivery of just say doordash uber and other companies that are doing food delivery um so it's it's pretty unique that they're gonna spend 100 million dollars i really think you're gonna have to spend a lot more to make a food delivery service come together Unless you're looking from strictly a commercial side, you're going to need advertising. You're going to need you need a hundred million dollars just to build out the advertising budget to really reach out to the consumer if that's the road that they're going down. Um, but speaking of Uber, I don't know if you guys know, but have you heard about the Uber scam? Um, there's a guy that orchestrated a million dollar Uber Eats scam involving credit cards, gift cards, and Walgreens in Florida. I mean, what a savage! Uh, Taylor Morgan of Lauder Hill and Roy Blackwood of Broward County in Florida were arrested in August following a nearly eight-month-long investigation. The fraud started in January 2022 and took place in Broward and Palm Beach counties. You don't know Florida. That's where um, you actually find Palm Beach as a town. And then you have Fort Lauderdale. And then south of Fort Lauderdale is Miami. But Broward's big city is Fort Lauderdale. Palm Beach is the big city in Palm Beach County. And, um, you know, Morgan used, would use the Uber Eats app and act as the customer and the courier. He'd place a grocery order and a consumer would come pick up under a fake account and then accept the order as the courier, according to the deputies. <laughs> Uber would provide Morgan with a pre-authorized and pre-loaded credit card to make the purchases. Then as the consumer, he would cancel the order and buy a gift card with the Uber credit card investigator set. They they would have had times to travel twenty seven different to, to twenty seven different Walgreens in one day. The, the total uh, add up was about five thousand dollars lost for Uber. Here, there's a video men for allegedly scamming Uber Eats out of a million dollars. Local Times Roy Ramos is live to explain how the scheme worked. Roy. He didn't make no mistake. This was an elaborate scheme and a well thought out one. And that's likely why these two suspects were able to get away with it for more than a year. But it's after an eight month investigation by the Broward Sheriff's Office. That scheme has now come to an end with men arrested. These are the mugshots of 21 year old Trayon Morgan and 38 year old Roy Blackwood. The two arrested after investigators said the partners in crime scammed the Uber ride sharing and delivery service out of more than a million dollars by using fake accounts with fabricated and stolen identities. Morgan uh, would create an account as a customer and he would place so an order. It's pretty, for it's grocery pretty crazy to think that um, under this a fake account, you know, you have you have these guys that spent all this time to create this scam and like i wonder how what they could have done if they would have spent it trying to like actually build a business or trying to make money in a legitimate way uh, it might not have happened so fast but you know i think the best money is the money that's earned over time and it increases so it, it's pretty it's pretty unique the think that you know these guys spent all this time trying to scam uber 
And the truth is, is they probably should have spent their time trying to build a business or, or work for the money, honestly. Um, last but not least on our list is people finding a whole bunch of money. Uh, I don't know if you know about the $200 million shipwreck, but it's set to be recovered from the bottom of the ocean along with its treasures, which are to believed to be worth $20 billion in today's money. You know, so there, there's all kinds of fights over what's down there right now and what's going on. Um, San Jose was sunk by the British Navy in 1708 off the port of Cartagena. It, it will be recovered as a matter of an urgency, Columbia says. Uh, it's thought there's over 200 tons of silver and 11 million gold coins, 62 guns and three masted galleon ships. Uh, there were over 600 sailors on board. All but 11 went down with the ship. Um, so Colum Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos said in 2015 when the wreck was discovered that the treasure is the most valuable that has been found in the history of humanity. It was found 3,100 feet below the surface, perfectly preserved. It's pretty crazy. We, uh, it'll be brought above water. Uh, before President Gustavo Petro's term ends in 2026. Um, a U.S. salvage team, Glocomora, says they located it in 1981, but the Colombian government disputes that. Of course they're going to dispute it. It's $20 billion. Colombia says they found it in 2015 in a different location. Let's remain secret. Uh, Mora claims it was it's owed $10 billion by the Colombian government because it handed over coordinates to the Colombian authorities. Mora is suing for half the treasure, uh, and the arbitration case is being heard in London. Now, there's some other people that want to claim, claim to it. Um, the indigenous people of Spain, Bolivia, Quahara, Quahara nation claims ownership as well. They say the Spanish forced their people to mine the metals and used it in the treasure 300 years ago. Now, I'd be really curious on who you think actually owns the treasure, but I'll tell you, if it was me and I was more out of figured out how to get down to the bottom when I found it. Anyway, if you enjoy Dirty Money, make sure to give us a like below, check for the reels. Also, download the, the podcast, give us a listen, give us a five-star review, really appreciate it. And uh, that was Dirty Money.